0: This episode is sponsored by Airbnb. The focus of season three is all about how art and creativity can be used to bring about social change, combating racism, discrimination, and ultimately finding beauty through justice. Airbnb's mission is to help create a world where people can belong anywhere, and they wanted to support these conversations. And throughout the season, I'll be featuring some of their actions in this space, so stay tuned for that. Okay. I'm Matsudiso, a musician, songwriter, producer and composer. I also teach. I'm fascinated by process, how we make what we make, why we make what we make. As a musician, I'm always learning from and inspired by other creatives, other musicians, artists, the arts itself, people. In short, life, all inform the music I make. And I think that learning from others enriches not only our own art, but the arts. And why holding up the ladder? Well, because we're all trying to get somewhere and I think we build something stronger if we help each other. If we hold up the ladder rather than pull it up from under us as we climb. I'll be talking to all kinds of creatives about process, lessons learned, things that inspire us, the music we're listening to, what makes us who we are and the help we've had along the way. So join me as we climb, holding up the ladder.
1: We've got very um, strong, powerful dancers and channels in my family, especially the material line Mm -hmm. um, of my lineage. Both on my mom and my dad's side, there have been some very powerful women that use their body through dancing and through spiritual transmission to bring good messages or to bring messages as to how we
2: can improve our life and how we can thrive in those times. So that was sort of the beginning of the journey. And I actually remember that night sort of just being in bed and just feeling like something really, really, really big had happened. That's the only way I can say it. It just felt like something big had happened, like something had fundamentally changed. Who gets to tell stories? Who gets to tell your story? How does story relate to the body?
0: What are the stories our bodies tell? These are some of the questions I delve into through the prism of African women, tattoos, and scarification with my guests today, Laurence Sessou and return guest, Jessica Horn, founders of the Temple of Her Skin.
2: You know, we see these images of Dinka um, women or Tuaregs or, you know, Amazigh women. And they have tattoos and the way that it's presented is in this kind of very flat anthropological specimen kind of way. And again, it's like, but who are these women? Like each of them is their own person. Did they choose that design? Did they like it? How does it make them feel? What was the process like? How did they handle the pain? You know what I mean? Like there's so many interesting things about, you know, like what did it mean for them at that moment in their lives? You know, and that for us is what we want to explore through this. This is whole universe of us. Jessica and Laurence, two African women hailing from East
0: Africa and Benin in West Africa, respectively, were inspired by their own tattoo and scarification journeys to create space for other African women to do the same. Moving away from either the hyper-sexualized or anthropological, think-national-geographic-tribal-women imagery to discover the real and complex stories of these adorned women. Because, well, aren't we all real and complex people? They are discovering, as Jessica says, and I quote, where tattooing and scarification sits in our varied African histories.
1: I can confidently say that all my tattoos have been a celebration of all my spiritual breakthroughs. Mm -hmm. I've had um, an interesting story with my health. Okay. And uh, it has been challenging. And basically, every time I've overcome a step, I will just mark my skin to remind myself of how far I've come.
0: We talk about the tattoos that have marked significant moments in their lives. We talk about the difference between tattoos and scarification. We talk about the importance of their grandmothers
2: in their spiritual practices and traditions. So many African women are talking about their grandmothers again. They're like, oh, you know... My grandmother had tattoos, actually, you know, and um, oh, but it's funny, you know, I never really asked what it was about. So so there's all these stories and it's sort of like something happened in our parents' generation that um, stopped a lot of the traditions. We talk
0: about pain, pain not as something we seek after, but rather as an almost unavoidable component of bringing something forth, which is why we also talk about childbirth.
2: And just giving women space, the space that they need. I was lucky in that case that I actually had midwives who did that very much. And I feel like it really facilitated the process. Um, But many women don't. And that's also a racialized reality.
0: We, of course, talk a lot about the body, about understanding the body, about being connected to the body, about agency over one's body and how this agency is, in fact, an act of resistance.
1: So my solution, my, my, my focus was to heal my community. Let's go into the body. What's the body saying? Where, where do we channel that energy? What do we choose to focus that energy into? Because mm-hmm. I'm tired of being angry and feeling helpless. Mm-hmm. It does not help me. So I felt that I could go through those times by doing what I do best. And it's putting my hand on people and it's to hold people where they're at and to open that space so that they can go deeper within themselves and marvel, marvel as to what they're made of.
0: I'm always learning something from the people I interview. But there is something really wonderful when something I know very little about serves as a metaphor for what I'm doing with this podcast generally, but the theme of this season more specifically. I'm someone who takes a lot of time to ponder things. And when George Floyd was murdered, I didn't post or share what I thought for a while. It was too shocking, I suppose. I sat with my thoughts and with my feelings. And because I come from a human rights law background, I have a strong justice streak and a deep desire to respond in a concrete way. And I should say in a concrete way that works for me, because it looks different for each of us. I was quite intentional when I approached Laurence and Jessica for interview. Because for me, and I think as you will discover throughout our conversation, their insistence on telling African stories, their insistence in creating and pursuing beauty on their own terms, their determination to be strong in what I would call their softness, their insistence in reveling in joy, in laughter, in celebration of their Africanness, their African womanness, their blackness is in fact an act of resistance.
2: I think that um, there's been a lot of emphasis on, as you're saying, on discussions of trauma and the notion of the intergenerational um, transfer of trauma. But the question is, well, what about the intergenerational transfer of resilience, you know, or survival, or wisdom? Because the very same bodies that were traumatized also work through and are still, their their (laughs) great-great-grandchildren are alive today. Like, I I don't really want to have to constantly bear witness to black pain because that means black people are in pain. And I don't want that.
0: I don't know how you listen to podcasts. I tend to listen while I'm cooking or tidying my house. But in this instance, I would recommend allowing yourself to slow down, to be still, get your favourite drinks or snacks and just take time to listen. One quick edit before we start. You'll hear me say that Jessica was in season two of Holding Up the Ladder. She was actually in season one, episode seven. Well worth a listen. It will further anchor the conversation that you're about to hear. The temple of her skin, Laurent Sessou, Jessica Horn. Thank you so much for joining me today.
2: <laughs> it's great to be here. <laughs> it's
0: so good to be here. Thank you. Um, I'm so pleased for you to join me. Jessica Horn. for those of you who've listened to season two, you will have heard her voice from season two. African feminist, writer, poet, activist, academic, et cetera, et cetera. Multi-hyphenate, amazing woman. Laurence Sessou, activist, body worker. That's what you call yourself, right? Aromatherapist, activist amazing woman these I should say for all our listeners these women and I don't say it lightly they really are powerhouse women and I'm very excited to have them on today and I'm excited for you to get to know them some more the temple of her skin is all about tattoos and scarification from an African perspective we're going to talk about it today but let's start from the very very beginning I'd love for you to introduce yourselves a little bit more to us because obviously I know you guys well, but I'd love the listeners to get to know you. So Jessica Horn, since you've been here before, tell us who you are.
2: I always find uh, introductions like that difficult because I mean, you know, I suppose I'm a woman of the earth. Um, You know, um, I'm a daughter of East Africa um, and I've just, you know, I was raised in quite a politically aware family environment and in a kind of social cultural context, political context that was very active in thinking about what's wrong with the world and how we need to change it. And so it's, I I feel like I've always been activist in that sense. So I've been involved in feminist work all through, even from secondary school. Um, But I kind of fully went into it, you know, after university. And um, so I've worked in in lots of different structures, but really just trying to advance um, the rights of all women to live beautiful, healthy, self-expressive lives in our own bodies, you know? Um, and I mean, I, I have that embodied interest in embodiment. And so, you know, it's something that carries through my poetry, it carries through my activism, and it kind of carries through even a project like this, which is really about our embodiment. And I also am so fascinated by histories and documentation. Like, I feel like, you know, so much of us is not well captured. Um, because other people were determining who should write about us, and so um, that's also something that's very common across all the different work I've done. Is like a kind of documentary or witnessing element um, in in what I do.
0: Fantastic, Laurent Sissou. Tell us who who you are and where you come from.
1: Right, you know, um, I was told off by a lady one day because I, I when I introduced myself, I, my name is Lohan Sessou and I am an aromatherapist and body worker. She was like, hang on a minute. You're going to have to rewind and tell me more about what you are and what you do and what kind of energy you carry with you. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, rewind. Okay, mm-hmm. I am a child of a voodoo mystic, We've got very um, strong, powerful dancers and channels in my family, especially the material Mm -hmm. line of my lineage, both on my mom and my dad's side. There have been some very powerful women that use their body through dancing and through spiritual transmission to bring good messages or to bring messages as to how we can improve our life and how we can thrive in those times. So, I can confidently say that I am <laughs> I am a, a, a tool for my ancestors to work through. So mm-hmm. all the work that has not been able to be completed, they're using me today to do that. Mm-hmm. So I am a doula. Uh, I am a sacred birth worker. So I hold sacred space for uh, women and all children uh, to thrive um, Obviously, I am a therapist. I love essential oils. I love the body. Mm-hmm. I love the body for what it can do mm-hmm. and what it says, and how it can inform us in in how to have an amazing life here and now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I am a lover of of women, obviously, and men as well, but women will still my priority for now. and uh, And I am a lover of life and and the earth and the moon and. Uh, and everything that makes us magnificent beings, mm. Mm. in a nutshell.
0: Well, it's a beautiful nutshell. It's a beautiful nutshell. So, so tell me about Temple of Her Skin. I, I should say that that I felt this season of the podcast, just because of the year, the last eighteen months we've had. I've been, I've really been thinking about how art can be used to affect social change. How we can how we can creatively address certain social ills anti-racism stuff just changing the world we're in and it doesn't and and i think the temple of our skin is a visual documentary project um and you're telling stories and aesthetics around african women tattooing and scarification and when when i interviewed jessica last season i remember jessica saying you know that that you guys were interested in this because you wanted to remove the hyper-sexualization and the sort of hyper-exotification of African women and also the erasure of African stories in these spaces. So I'd love for you to tell me actually, firstly, how you guys met, because it's a great story, and then how... It leads into this space of tattooing and scarification because for me, whether or not it's intentional, there is a form of activism in your work, you know, but through beauty, you know, and through telling stories through beauty, which I think is very powerful. So let's start. Tell us, tell us how you guys met.
1: So who's
2: starting, Jess? <laughs> <laughs> Shall I? Yeah, go ahead. You're the funny side of the story.
1: Yes, I am. Uh, basically, um, that was before Instagram days. I think it was even before Facebook. I'm not sure if I was on Facebook at the time, but basically I was aware of Jessica's beautiful artwork online. Mm-hmm. We had been tattooed by um, the same artist, Tuka Voodoo. Uh, which is you know black Persian um, um, artist, and uh, I was just mesmerized by this vision of Jessica's tattoos and um, I think and I think then Facebook came, and we might have been connected online, something like that, but then the 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 amazing surprise is when I actually met Jessica at the uh, tattoo convention, which was back in Which year was it? Was it
2: 2015? Hmm. Yeah, it might have been. I I felt like I wanted to say 2014, but I think it might have been 2015.
1: No, it was 2013, actually, because I remember just coming out of hospital. And um, I met Jessica with her partner, Rich, and it was just a... We just embraced each other. We just embraced each other and then um, took her, which is our tattoo artist was like, oh, you know, Jessica is the lady to whom I did that amazing tattoo on her bum, may I say? (laughs) And I was like, wow, 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 wow. And it was just that really warm embrace of a sisters with whom I've walked in other lives before. And it's almost as if we'd found each other in that weird place that was not even designed for us. We just happened to bump each other. Nothing is by accident. And it was just, there was something was sealed then in that embrace, in that acknowledging who we are uh, and each other. And and then I don't know when we shared the stories of our tattoos, but it was absolutely mesmerizing because we had something in common in terms of like, there was a deep spiritual ancestral connection into why we chose to, um, to adorn our skin. So there was something in common. I thought I was the only one that did it for this reason. And then all of a sudden I met another African sister that had similar uh, motivation and inspiration to adorn her skin. So it was love at first sight and inspirational.
0: I love it.
2: Jessica. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, You go to spaces in search of things and you find them sometimes, even though they are unlikely to be there. So that was a really beautiful connection with the tattoo convention. And it's funny because in my work, I travel a lot um, around Africa and I had been noticing also women with tattoos, but I tried to reach out to people um, and to ask, you know, questions and, you know, pull together something. And the only person that responded was actually Laurence. And and so I feel like it's, you know, like when we started developing the concept for this and even thinking about what we're trying to do it was it became clearer and clearer and clearer you know and again it was from this shared understanding of the why um from our own vantage point but then also wondering then so what else and who else out there you know because again it's it's, women may choose to get tattoos um because it makes them feel sexy that's not a problem it's more the projection, like nobody, nobody asks. Nobody asks. It's like people don't have a subjectivity, don't have a a personal identity or don't have choice, right? It's just the assumption that people do things because it's either their tradition or culture, or it's, you know, because they want to be X. Nobody asks. And I think what Laurence and I realized between ourselves is that there was this like deep, complex stories behind every single marking on our bodies. but not just behind what you see that there was also this whole universe of like experience and learning and, um, the process of the tattooing, which was like ceremony, you know, um, and the kinds of spiritual revelations that came in the process of these, um, you know, this process of being marked in different ways, um, and the things that opened up, you know, in terms of understanding ourselves. And so we just thought, surely there must be more of this. You know, and there must be more. There must be, I mean, you know, we see these images of, um, of, of you know, often like Dinka women or Tuaregs or, you know, Amazigh women. And they have tattoos and the way that it's presented is in this kind of very flat anthropological specimen kind of way. And again, it's like, but who are these women? Like, each of them is their own person. Did they choose that design? Did they like it? How does it make them feel? What was the process like? How did they handle the pain? You know what I mean? Like, there's so many interesting things about, you know, like, what did it mean for them at that moment in their lives? You know, how did it make them feel connected to, you know, um, the universe, the living and the dead? I mean, what does it mean for them? You know, and that for us is what we want to explore through this. This this whole universe of us. Mm. that we just want to create um space so that those voices can emerge and, and speak
0: mm, that's wonderful so so let's get into the why because both of you are very tattooed and you 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 you, t- you both have talked about the sort of the stories behind your tattoos and the spiritual element to it it wasn't just these are very well thought out reasons as to why so let's talk about why, Temple of our skin, and then why the tattoos on your bodies? Why did you choose them? Laurence, do you want to start?:
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, um, I can confidently say that all my tattoos have been a celebration of all my spiritual breakthroughs. Mm-hmm. I've had um, an interesting um, story with my health. Okay. And uh, it has been challenging. And basically, every time I've overcome a step, I would just mark my skin to remind myself of how far I'd come. Mm. So everything that is in my body is a celebration of my my spiritual breakthroughs. Mm. Now, um, the scarification we went way deeper in my spiritual practice. um, I'm gonna open a bracket and talking about vision quest and what it is and vision quest is like a rite of passage mm-hmm. when you get to spend a certain amount of days in nature with no food or water just being with yourself and with everything that is around you and so it's a four-year commitment the first year is a four-day commitment the second year is a seven day commitment the third the third year is a nine day commitment and the fourth year is a 13day commitment. Naimando, on the seven, seven day commitment, on day four, we bring you food and uh, fruit and water on day uh, nine, on day four, seven, fruit and water, and then on day thirteen, fruit and water, on day four, seven and nine. The, um, the seven day uh, vision quest is um, was the year when I really felt my grandmothers literally coming into my circle of prayers. Mm-hmm. I was in nature by myself, and there she was. I was really thirsty, and both my grandmother came into my circle and brought me water, and they said, we're here. We're here. We hold you. We are present, and thank you for calling us. And in that moment, I was like, how do I honor this incredible connection that just happened here? And the way that I found the closest to honor that, and to really seal and make this marriage between my spiritual practice and my ancestry was to choose scarification. Mm-hmm. Because that's what both my grandmothers um, had on their body to identify who they are, to identify their tribe. Mm-hmm. So everything that I've got inscripted, my body is deeply spiritual
0: and it also has an ancestral connection to it. Right. And and so so for those who don't know the difference between tattooing and scarification, would you explain a little bit about the difference? So the tattooing is basically uh, marking
1: your skin with some ink. So it can be hand-poked or it can be done with a machine. And then you've got the ink and it kind of just stays. With the scarification, is a cut and a removal of skin. And then uh, black skin and Asian skin, I believe, has a tendency to, um, we call it kiloid forming. Yeah. So the kiloid scarring is kind of growing after the cut. But the scarification is a, is a cut. And the scarification is probably the most ancient way actually of marking the skin before ink and, and carbon powdered uh, came into the picture.
0: Wow. Wow. And and to say it's, remind me, it's kind of at the front and it, it's, it's, I mean, you almost, in a way, this is the kind of thing you want to do film so people can see or to see it live, how how intricate it is, how beautiful it's at the front. It's also on your back, right? Uh-huh. I've got my whole back.
1: The back scarification is the first one I did. And then a year later, I did the chest.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So the back is, was a, a map of my spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got a, a cross in the middle, uh, which is called the chakana. And it's a symbol that it's seen in pretty much every indigenous tradition. Mm-hmm. And that's where um, we keep the fire of life. And then I've got four arrows around it. And to me, it represents the four different nations uh, of this world. And then there's a different plant medicine. I've got some lotus flowers. And we know that the lotus flowers grows out of mud, right? There's been a bit of a struggle. But then when she comes out, she's very vibrant and beautiful. And her scent is incredible, right? And I really could see myself in the lotus flowers. I love flowers, by the way. (laughs) And I'm also surrounded by uh, spirals because it represents to me an infinity of um, opportunities. And the points, the dots, and even in my tattoos, I've got a lot of dots. It's that straightforwardness Mm -hmm. and the simplicity of a dot, right? It's straightforward and it's quite clear. Mm -hmm. And funny enough, that's kind of, it's my personality as well. That's how I move into the world. I'm quite straightforward, straight to the point. And also, I I feel like there is an infinity of possibilities as to what I want to do and what I want to become. There is real freedom there. So my back is really a representation of the dream that I want to see the four nations of this world enjoying this fire of life in respecting um, nature, mother nature that is around us. And yeah, and the chest now, the chest is a representation of the female reproductive system, that divine feminine energy. Um, You've got two ovaries and you've got the symbol of the clitoris in the middle, which is the great pleasure of life, which is our birthright of women. Right. We often forget that. Mm -hmm. So I thought, you know, why not? So that's that's what's on my chest. That was done a year later.
0: yes amazing and and um Jessica tell me your body what why the choices why 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 have you not why yes why have you adorned your skin but why the choices because again you have an intentionality about the the choices you made
2: and to put on your body yeah absolutely and it's always lovely to hear Laurence I feel like every time I she goes deeper and I learn something new, (laughs) but also it just feels like a little bit of a guide to thinking about life, you know, and that's just very beautiful. Um, Yeah. So I, um, again, background wise, I'm East African, but I grew up in the South Pacific on a university campus where I was surrounded by people from 12 countries of the South Pacific and all across the Pacific people tattoo. So I grew up, um, you know, regularly seeing people like all the students on the campus who had like the Samoans with their Matai tattoos who are actually from chiefly lineage. I mean, that's why they had the tattoos, right? People from the Solomon Islands with like sun scarifications on their faces, Um everybody was inked in some way or another, actually, or marked in some way, even school kids would often just do little tattoos. Like it's just very common. And it was for me a way, I just found it beautiful. Like for me, it was, it was beautiful, but I also understood it as being something deeply, um, linked to lineage and ancestry and something that tells a story. And, um, and so when I went to university, I just had this really, really strong urge to be tattooed. And, um, I was in the States and then I came to London and so I started feeling like this is 2001 I was like I really 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 want to have a tattoo so those were the very early days of the internet um but I think I I you know looked online and I found a place that was sort of like you know the the known place for so called tribal tattoos um and so I was really excited and I kind of went down there this young you know um student um black student woman, I should say, because I entered into that space. And the woman who was at reception um, was a white woman who was covered in tattoos from the Solomon Islands down her, you know. And um, so these are tattoos that I'd grown up seeing people who come from that place with, you know. And um, she just kind of looked me up and down with this look of disdain. Um, And I looked at her and I looked at the other people in the space and I thought, no, there's no way anybody in here is touching my body you know, and I just walked right out. And so I thought, I have to find people who actually understand and respect, you know, this tradition of this practice. I can't have somebody touching my skin who doesn't respect me in a a fundamental way. Like, why would you allow anybody to touch your body who doesn't respect you in a fundamental way? So um, I had gone to visit my brother who lives in Paris and we were in the Samaritan, which is like a big fancy department store. And um, we were on the top floor and there was this exhibition of Tahiti and then there was this Maori guy there doing like fake tattoos, you know, and selling monoi oil. And it was a bit cheeky and like kind of anyway, whatever. tourist um, vibe. But um, so I went up to him and I was like, wow, I said, do you, do you do real tattoos? And he said, yes. And I was like, oh, so he came to my brother's apartment, basically. <laughs> and he tattooed the first little, um, you know, inscription on my arm. It's a uh, shark's teeth. And uh, this triangle, like a line of two lines of triangles with a space in the middle. Um, And afterwards, he said, you know, this was the very first tattoo I had. He had tattoos all over him, traditional tattoos. And he said, this is the very first tattoo that I ever got. You know, and he said, it's actually just symbolizes for us. It symbolizes the space between the earth and the ancestors. And um, yeah, it was. So that was sort of the beginning of the journey. And I actually remember that night sort of just being in bed and just feeling like something really, really, really big had happened. That's the only way I can say it. It just felt like something big had happened, like something had fundamentally changed in me. Um, But then many, many years later, I was going through sort of a a terrible relationship that I just needed to end. I was feeling very, very, very um, blocked and locked and um funnily enough, I was back in and i would lived, you know, all over. it. I'd, I'd come back to London and I was just compelled to constantly wear red and black. And I was like wondering what that was about. But I think it was like, you know, in some traditions, it's a sign of like Legba, you know, like the cross, the guardian of the crossroads, you know. Uh, I really felt like I was in this space of like, I need to leave. But how can I leave? Should I stay? Just confused. And um, I remember a friend had actually won- was looking for a tattoo artist. And so I found this person online um and went into the space and um and um you know so we kind of walked into the tattoo parlor again it was all white tattoo artists but um the person just took one look at us and said uh hi what are you here for we were like oh we just would like some tattoos of i don't know whatever we just know what we wanted and then and then said uh oh, okay uh maybe you should go down and see Tuka <laughs> and so uh, walked down the stairs and there was Tuka who's just ink from head to toe but also has this presence of uh, over, like an opener like an opener, really in a way, like a illegal spirit, to be honest. Um, is um, also trans and sort of just operate. It kind of exists in a very liminal space. It's kind of like a space opener. So I just, I felt that energy and I was like, this is it. And I had not actually intended to have a tattoo, but I thought this is what I have to do. And um, so... Sukha, you know, works um, freehand and basically just draws on you whatever they channel and feel that needs to be on your skin. Um, And they drew this thing and I looked at it and I was like, ha, huh, you know, I said, okay, I trust you. Um, and in the end, I just looked down and it was like, wow, it was literally like this um, dots and spaces. and But it was actually literally symbols of hearts with crosses in the middle and dots because I really was actually at the crossroads of my heart. So, um, but every time, so I kind of like over the years went back to Tuka for different things. And it was always kind of the same. It's like, you know, you just feel intuitively what you need. Um, I, you know, I, I contacted Tuka once and I said, you know, I don't know. I just keep feeling really, really strongly that I want to tattoo my chest. But I said, you know, I have had open heart surgery. Um, and it was open heart surgery done in like quite an invasive way because it was quite a long time ago. So I have a big scar, but also like every time I thought about it, I kept having this memory of pain in my chest. Um, is it safe? And Tuka wrote back and said, it's completely safe, but that's actually not the issue. The issue is that I will be tattooing your heart center and you need to feel that you can trust me. And um, And so they said, you know, and, but rest assured that I will, I will keep you safe, you know, if this is what you want to do. And, um, you know, I came and um, I had this ink, which was really literally down the middle of my chest, and it didn't hurt at all. At all. Um, And I actually remember that night because um, Tuka uses tattoos in an, in a way that is ceremonial not pretentiously but really because they're channeling also their own ancestral tradition cuz too cuz grandmother was a tattooer actually too and grandmothers are a lot in this you'll hear actually grandmothers mean a lot in tattooing but um and so and so lights incense there was nobody else in there and plays music you know um, that really gets you into this ritual space. So it was like this juju music from Nigeria, you know, this like drum, but like it was loud. And just it, literally, you just enter into this space, you know. Um, and I, I remember that so clearly. It didn't hurt at all. Um, and then it finished and, you know, um, he turned the music down and it was like, boop, I was out of a spell, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, and then the biggest piece on my back um I have another tattoo, but the biggest piece on my back, I mean, the story is getting a bit long, but just to say that um, it took about 60 hours of tattooing. Um, Not in one sitting, obviously. No, not possible, but (laughs) it was like, you know, 11-hour sessions. You know, 11-hour sessions. Like, you'd go in at 1 or 2 and you'd leave, you know, past midnight, 2 a.m., and I um I remember at one point, because it quite hurt I mean, there's parts of your body that really do hurt. It. I mean there's it's painful. Um but I do remember, you know, at one point just going into this space, it was quite painful. And then I just felt my I felt my grandmother coming down and holding my hand, you know, and taking mm-hmm. me through. Mm-hmm. So um it's just interesting that there's um, so much revelation that happens in these practices, and I think that um, again, it's a shame that what people hear about tattooing is very often from a very singular perspective of a small subsection of neo-tribal tattooing in the West, which is a bit um, sadomasochistic. Mm-hmm. And so it's this idea that people do tattoos because they want to feel pain and this and that. I mean, honestly, I don't think for us in this growing trad- growing community of us, you know, the Temple women. Um, that we're interviewing for nobody, not no, for none of us. That's it's not what it's about at all. It's such a misreading, you know. And it's almost like we engage, um, we don't get tattooed because of the pain, we get tattooed because of the process, and the process can be painful. But what's interesting is what we do then to manage the pain, um. And it requires really deeply tapping into your ancestral energies to hold yourself, you know, and that's the learning. So it's almost like that quest, you know, it's almost like that idea of like going through an experience where, you know, your, your senses get heightened because you're just, you know, facing something quite difficult, but for a clear reason, you know, and not because it will harm you at all. The opposite is because it will teach you. You know, it's a positive thing. And um, and I, yeah, I just feel like there's, I've had so many revelations of different kinds and different scales through this process of being inked. And I think that's something that it's interesting to hear other people's stories because for everybody, it's slightly different. But as I said, for some reason, the grandmothers are always coming through in these stories. The grandmothers mm. are always very present.
0: Laurence, you're nodding your head. Talk to us.
1: <laughs> you know, it's very interesting because I know Jessica well, but every time, like you've said to me, Jessica, there is another layer of the story. <laughs> there is o- another layer and it, I can resonate with it so vividly because, and that's one of the things that I, I guess I'd like to add to the project is like, we really are working with the mystery. You know, we really are working with the stuff that science can't make sense of, that nobody can really make sense of on an everyday basis because it's so much deeper. But we can't deny it because we feel it and we know it's real because Mm -hmm. we went through these processes with the help of our ancestors, our grandmothers, you know, they all showed up. And it's just amazing in the stories that we've collected so far, it manifested itself in different ways, the same, same, but different. Right. And I think that's why, um, I mean, the, regard because when I look at, at the project so far and we've done a little, but people haven't seen the whole thing yet. The energy that is put in it, the amount of interest that we have, is incredible because it's something that has not been done before. It's a simple mm-hmm. idea, but it has not done before in that way. Mm-hmm. And I know that it's that mystery and that ancestral connection that people are drawn to, mm-hmm. because nobody even dare to come, come close to that for whatever reason. But I think fundamentally, and I can speak for Jessica. We live our life like this. We work with spirits, we work with our ancestors in a very non-pretentious way. You know, we don't have the white pants in our face and, and the whole costume of that. No, it's transparent in everything that we do. And sometimes people can't really point at what they're attracted to, but that's exactly it. So yeah, that that's, that's why I was nodding. I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: This season, you've been hearing stories of people who are using their art and or creativity to respond to social issues. And oftentimes, the response or act of resistance is in the making. It's the giving voice to, the creating opportunity and space for. And the beauty of creativity is that it's catalytic in many ways. It inspires others to respond. And this was the case with Shell, a host on Airbnb who opened up her home to people impacted by Hurricane Sandy that hit New York in 2012. Her generosity sparked a movement and marked the beginning of a program that allows hosts on Airbnb to provide stays for people in times of need. Since then, the program has evolved to focus on emergency response and to help provide stays to evacuees, relief workers, refugees, asylum seekers, and most recently, frontline workers fighting the spread of COVID-19. Today, that work continues under airbnb.org, a nonprofit that connects people with places to stay during times of crisis. From Australia to France, more than 100,000 hosts have offered to open up their homes and help provide accommodation to 75,000 people in times of need. You know, the concept of a right to housing is important enough to be protected by international law. Article 25 of the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights talks about protecting a right to housing whereby I quote, Everyone has the right to a standard of living adequate for the health and well-being of himself and of his family, including food, clothing, housing and medical care and necessary social services and the right to security in the event of unemployment, sickness, disability, widowhood, old age or other lack of livelihood in circumstances beyond his control. Psychologist Maslow talked about a hierarchy of needs shelter being integral to our basic physiological needs like food, air and water. There are so many factors that are causing people to be displaced or lose shelter and housing. War, natural disasters, ethnic cleansing, unemployment and then add a pandemic to that. But one host on Airbnb, if you like, holds up the ladder for her community and it inspires and shapes how an organisation not only conducts its business but also how it engages with the communities around it to create a global network of partnerships. To find out more, head to airbnb.org or click the link in the podcast blurb. (laughs) So... Tell me about the stories that you're collecting. The other, some of the other women that you have been speaking to. Tell me a little bit about that. I, either one of you, please feel free.
1: Can we? Sh- can we
0: really share? Like it's supposed to be a secret. You have to have a surprise. Well, the stuff that you're al- that you feel you're allowed to share that will <laughs> will broaden our understanding of some of the stories you're collecting without ruining the surprise. Okay. The only thing I'm going to say is that it's quite extraordinary to see
1: the different background of the women. Okay. The the thing we have in common is we're all part of the same continent, Mm -hmm. but in terms of what they're doing in their lives, it's very inspiring how they're coming from different places, very different characters in what they're doing, but yet they chose to mark their skin. And I think that's quite, That's quite beautiful, actually. That's it for me.
2: (laughs) It's true. Well, two things. One, just from the women that we've engaged so far is that I think, again, the fact that it really is beyond, um, there's a decorative element. I mean, it's decoration. And obviously you would never put anything on your skin permanently if you didn't think it was beautiful. Right. So that's that's actually very important. Right. Um, but for everybody, there really is, as you're saying, intentionality. There's something that people are processing, thinking through, working through um, as as part of why they're doing it. Um, and um, that's also very clear, you know, so it's, it's and it's very internal, like it's not something for um, show, do you know what I mean? Or an external gaze. It's just processes that are really quite internal. You know, people just really engaging their own kind of um, space in the world, you know, and doing that through their skin. Um, And it's also just been uh, what I have found interesting is the responses to the project because we have started it. And again, because we're still collecting stories, we hadn't wanted to put out too much material because we actually want to present it in a way that honors the stories properly. So rather than just kind of putting the content straight onto Instagram, you know, these days, like you put something onto social media and basically people forget about it. 10 you know, ten seconds after they scroll past it. And in a way, it's like, no, we need to have a proper honouring. You know, we need to have a, a, a proper way of presenting and um, these stories and having people really have the space and time to engage them. That's why we're waiting. But it's interesting to see through the Insta that we set up and, you know, just conversations, we have a GoFundMe and just the conversations all of that is raising. It's like so many African women are talking about their grandmothers again. They're like, oh, you know, my grandmother had tattoos, actually. You know, and, um, oh, but it's funny, you know, I never really asked what it was about. So, so there's all these stories and it's sort of like something happened in our parents' generation that um, stopped a lot of the traditions, you know, because it seems to be the grandmothers and the great-grandmothers, but something happened in our parents' generation that stopped the traditions. So, um, and that for now, a lot of the uh, of the generations now, our generation and younger, Tattooing is now suddenly something that's considered inappropriate or, of course, because of the religious um, sort of um, take on it, people think it's demonic or, you know, symbolic of, um, you know, criminality. It was interesting to see in the NSARS protests in Nigeria against police brutality in Nigeria, how having tattoos was actually one of the reasons why police would harass um people um so it's just this idea you know of criminality and it's almost like well where did that come from because traditionally you know um it's 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 a sign of reverence of of you know process of belonging of you know um healing healing practices i mean it you know it's not something um so profane so it's interesting to see what happens so for me that's also the process for us of bringing this out to the world in the ways that we are has been fascinating because, again, we're just starting to also learn a little bit more about where tattooing and scarification sits in our varied African histories. Mm. And again, something happened in our parents' generation that kind of blocked the signal, you know? Mm. Um, and I feel like from our generation on, we're picking it back up.
0: So interesting. L- Laurence, do you want to say I'm, I'm mulling over what you said, but in the meantime, Laurence, do you want to add anything to we'll respond to what uh, Jess said? Well, um,
1: I feel I've been quite fortunate because my mom has scarification and she's very proud of them. And actually, I could add also that the first marking that I've had on my skin, my mom did that for me. So it was scarification with some um, with some uh, carbon, some black powder for healing. I had come to a certain age and it was time to have some kind of protection, you know, protection of your aura. You know, you've come to an age where, you know, it's time to receive those markings. And I also use numerology into it. Mm-hmm. So I've got three tiny scars here, three on my back, three on my shoulders on both Either shoulders, mm-hmm. and she did it with the blade. Uh, you know the Gillette. I don't know how you yeah. call it, Gillette. Yeah, Gillette, like a Gillette razor blade. Yeah, yeah. she did it with the Gillette. It was very superficial. She put the powder in. It stinged a bit, and then that was it. So my mom, it's very interesting. For my mom, she's like, I never taught you these things, mm-hmm. but all of a sudden, what you chose to have on your body, you turning like the initiated people. Mm-hmm. You've stretched your ears, you've pierced your nose, you've scarified your skin, you even have the tattoos. These are the medicine people that do these kind of things. And you don't like to wear many clothes either. She was <laughs> <laughs> like, I guess with my mom, she was fascinated as to how somehow the ancestral blood spoke through me and encouraged me to do these things. But again. It's an evolved version to it because I knew nothing about it really. Mm. I saw my mom with scarifications. I know in my dad's tribe, they have it on their cheeks. Mm. At my dad's generation, they stopped doing it, but he was supposed to have scarification on their cheeks. And and my mom is like, this is who we are. Mm. And that's one thing funny that she always tells me. I was like, but why? She was like, well, when you have your markings, there is always a way back home. Mm-hmm. we recognize who you are you can never be lost when you have your markings mm-hmm. so she's very proud of it but she thought it was old history and now she's in France and things have changed but it creeped back up through me mm-hmm. and I'm her last baby by the way my mom's got six children mm-hmm. and I'm the one that chose to reclaim that heritage mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so as far she's very proud actually She's quite, you know, amazing. She likes the aesthetics and, um, and it, in a way, it didn't surprise her. It didn't surprise mm. her. And I think through me, she understands our ancestral power. It's mm. not going anywhere. It's still there.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah. Mm. So I don't know if that was a real addition to what Jess said, but that was another yeah.
0: accolade. Mm. Uh, you know what? It's so interesting because I keep thinking of the phrase, and we you tend to talk about it in traumatic ways that the body remembers. Yeah, but you from from what I've learnt as you shared your stories is that you have you you are showing, I guess, an external way that the body remembers, but not from a traumatic place from a from a from a, a different sort of liberated place, and I. Something, I mean, this is not connected, but it's kind of connected. But I remember, it was something, Lars, you put on your Instagram. I remember when that awful video came out of George Floyd being murdered. And I remember you saying, I'm not going to engage with this. Not that you didn't care about it. I want to clarify, you deeply cared. But you said, I'm not going to keep putting images of black bodies being brutalized. We have other stories. And it wasn't, I was really aware, it wasn't your way of dismissing it, but you were just saying, you know, we have to, I felt, and I'd love you to develop this some more because I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I remember thinking this is someone who is not allowing herself or us as black people to be remembered as brutalized all the time, that there is something else and we get to narrate our own stories and archive our own stories. So I'd love for you to, Expand on that a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's, um, that's,
1: I don't believe that you fight fire with fire. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? In fact, I don't want to fight, Mm -hmm. I want to thrive with my life. Mm -hmm. And I truly believe that the more I put my intention on the things that are going wrong, the more I'm feeding it. Now, I am a true believer of solution. And I don't actually believe when I look at my life, everything that was thrown at me, that was deeply hurtful and uncomfortable, I flipped it as a potent medicine because my body indicates what I need and what I don't need. Mm -hmm. If something doesn't feel so good, I'm not going to keep on feeding that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to look deeper as to where, what, like going deeper as to what it is that I need to flip the narrative. Mm-hmm. And that's how I chose to live my life. And in terms of healing, it's the same. You can never surprise me with your story. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'll tell you, I'll take you where you're at. Where do we move from there? Mm-hmm. What choice do we make? I don't believe that people that have oppressed us, you're going to go and just ask for change when really they created something that was never meant to be for us at the, uh, in the first place. I'm not going to ask. I'm going to create what I want mm-hmm. because I know I can do that. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to focus. I'm going to center the whole narrative around myself. Yeah. I'm going to really look and claim that power back and focus on that. Now, you mm-hmm. said it clearly. You you did say, like, it's not that I don't care. I am very aware, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to feed a beast that doesn't have any interest for me to rise. Mm-hmm. I'm going Mm -hmm. to create a situation. I'm going to create a narrative. I'm going to create a world. And I'm going to focus my energy where I am celebrated. Mm -hmm. So that's what the whole post was about. Now, I truly believe also that everybody um, has a way to contribute. Mm -hmm. Some people are comfortable marching, and that's totally fine. If you feel your heart is filled with it, and that fulfilling – your purpose, then by all means, go for it. For me, in that moment, with the whole George Floyd event, I felt my community needs to heal. Mm. My community needs to understand, needs to get in their body and and explore their greatness from within. I want them to tap into their vortex. I want them to tap into that energy that nobody can touch. Mm -hmm. Because when you go to these places, you own it mm-hmm. and nobody can take that away from you. So my solution, my, my, my focus was to heal my community. Let's go into the body. What's the body saying? Where, where do we channel that energy? What do we choose to focus that energy into? Because mm-hmm. I'm tired of being angry and feeling helpless. Mm-hmm. It does not help me. So I felt that I could go through those times By doing what I do best and is putting my hand on people and is to hold people where they're at and to open that space so that they can go deeper within themselves and marvel, marvel as to what they're made of. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you one thing that time was really extraordinary for me in terms of as a practitioner and a healer as well is that, wow,
0: people went to those places and they believed it. So, so, sorry, when you say they went to those places and they believed it, what, what, what did they believe when you say they went to those places and they believed it?
1: They believed that they were powerful okay. enough okay. to change the narrative and they okay. were powerful and, and, and hopeful enough to believe that they could make changes for themselves by mm-hmm. focusing on their own well-being.
0: Mm-hmm. Right,
2: right. Jessica,
0: I'd love to know
2: your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I I really believe that transformation exists in an ecosystem, Um, but how we think about it also really matters. So what Laurence is saying is really, really significant. I think that um, there's been a lot of emphasis on, as you're saying, on discussions of trauma and the notion of the intergenerational transfer, um, transfer of trauma. But the question is, well, what about the intergenerational transfer of resilience you know, or survival or wisdom, because the very same bodies that were traumatized also work through and are still, their their (laughs) great-great-grandchildren are alive today. So there must have been something else, you know, or people used the trauma that was created by structural oppression and turned it into something. So um, I think that there is a kind of slight, fetish, fetishization, <laughs> that word, fetishization of black pain. Um, not by us, though. Like, I I don't really want to have to constantly bear witness to black pain because that means black people are in pain. And I don't want that. So again, for me, it's it's almost like, what do we do with the world? That is it's true. It's interesting. I mean, I work in the, I guess, it's funny, so i had um I had studied medical anthropology, and i kept I, I kept feeling like I needed to study medicine. But then I felt that if i if I became a doctor because I was actually very good at biology and chemistry, and I felt that if I became a doctor in Western medicine, the artist in me would die. I remember very, very clearly, sitting under a tree at university having to make the decision about whether or not I would do pre-med. And just I literally was like, the artist in me will die. <laughs> and it's funny because I spoke to a friend of mine who's a doctor and actually fled medicine and is an academic now. And he was like, Yep, the artist in you would have died. <laughs> so I'm glad I didn't make that decision. But I then I was like, I want to be a herbalist, you know? And 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 for whatever re and so for whatever reason it didn't go that way. And um instead I just looked more at like kind of the collective healing knowledges, right? So not necessarily the direct practice of healing, but how people understand healing in collective. And somebody said to me, who had read my chart, funnily enough, said to me, yeah, your your role is actually not to do one-on-one. That's not your purpose. Your purpose is to do things for collectives. And I said, oh, that's interesting. So I feel like the activism that I do really is about looking at ways that we can intervene in the system and change that change that system together um and so i feel like that like i said from an ecosystemic point of view what lawrence is saying and doing is very very important because you need to have that as an anchor as some kind of transformation practice you know um we need to build and rebuild and we also need to create spaces outside of you know outside of all of this because if not it really will kill us mm. so um i think just you know Uh, And also it's true that we have limited energy and limited mind space. So if in your process, all you do is focus on the terrible things and focus on the acts of violence, it means you're never thinking about the rest of it. You're never thinking about the solutions or even the practice of, you know, um, or living outside of it, like I said. So that for me is really vital. I think that we have to be in very, very clear, direct and constant solidarity with transformation and processes of transformation with a critique of all of these systems of oppression. We have to do that. Um, But I think we need to understand what people do in ecosystems. You know, as Lawrence is saying, there is a place for marching. Like protests have been transformational in the world. There's a place for writing. There's a place for the art and creativity that emerges out of and in response to, you know, and there's a space for the healers there's a space for individual work and work on the self and there's space for work on the collective and all of it is vital. So it's almost like we have to just understand the full picture and also understand, understand ourselves enough to understand how we can best contribute. You know, that for me is vital. And, you know, it links to the temple of his skin because as we're saying, you know, what we're trying to do with this is is almost like what Lawrence is saying, like to just bear witness to what people are doing when they tap into their bodies. To be honest with you, a majority of women in this world are survivors of some kind of violation or another. That's just statistically true, but also, as you know, it's true um, in, our, in our lives, in the lives of every woman you talk to. So um, what's interesting to us is not that. So What's interesting to us is what people do with it. And the tattooing and scarification is like a very beautiful, very, very beautiful journeying through the self, oftentimes in response to, you know, pain and to the bad things that have happened. Um, But it's also like alchemy, you know, and it's like literally transferring that kind of like just rock into, into, into gold in your soul, you know, Um, and into this deep beauty, you know, and into this deep space of knowing um, and connecting and affirming self. Um, And that's what we're trying to bear witness to with this project, you know, that, that that is a resistance. That is also a form of resistance. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. It's so funny because uh, I, I think I, I met you, Laurence, for the first time at Jessica's house. We and, did. Mm, that was the first. I'd heard about you, you know, like my friend Laurence, my friend Laurence, but I hadn't met Laurence, you know. But th- there is, uh, there were a couple of things that really struck me about how you both of you interact because I should say that you were, Laurence, you were Jessica's doula when she gave birth to her daughter. And, well, and yeah. t- <laughs> I was, yeah, I was here. I
1: was, yeah, I was oh, here is that she- is that correct? Is that, no, correct yeah. me if I, I'm wrong. I hadn't technically qualified, but I'd done the course mm-hmm. and Jessica asked me to be there when she was going to give birth. So I was like, yes, I'll be there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, I just
2: obeyed. and <laughs> just came. <laughs> <laughs> she was my sister. My soul sister friend. <laughs>
0: even better. Holding even me. Better. Yeah. But, but here's the thing that really struck Well, two things really struck me. I remember, and I think about it often. I remember Jessica saying, giving birth was in many ways, like when she had tattoos, the, 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 the ability to press into the pain and, and, and not to almost be afraid of it. And then I remember Laurence was, you know, you were talking about your work as, as a, a body practitioner and sometimes people that you will massage that you can feel are resisting. But to both of you, one of the things I'm very aware of is how connected you are with your bodies. And it's reminded me all the time of why, how important it is to be connected with your body. I mean, we usually talk about it in a health sense, but women's bodies are so, because we have the ability to give life. That the, the connectedness is just so important. And you are both women, for me, that are very connected with your bodies. And every time I'm around you, it reminds me to connect with my body. Um, I don't know where I'm going with that, and I don't know why I said that, but I felt I needed to say, or I wanted to say that, <laughs> because it's something that really stands out. And also that you are both women that, for me, are... Us, your your softness is so powerful because neither of you are hard women and and I feel sometimes again, I feel like I'm just wondering, but you' I'm going to be mercurial, but I hope you don't mind. I think there is often this narrative of black women being hard and angry, but you guys are for for understandable reasons let me let me add that, but you are very soft women, but there is so much power in your softness. But I feel it's because you're so connected to your bodies. Mm. I don't know if anyone wants to respond to that. I didn't think I'd say that, but I just felt like <laughs> I wanted to say that, you know?
1: Well, how, um, there's something extraordinary that is happening when a, a, a woman is about to give birth. Mm. And it's an energy that I recognize each time. I've, I've witnessed it four times in my life. And it's that same, very clear, nurturing, even, even mothers, the way they talk to me and the direction is very clear. There's a lot of power in what they say. Yeah. And, and, and me be, being in that space, it's really, um, it's a service of, of, of reverence and you have to be very present and very centered in your body in order to respond accordingly. Mm -hmm. Because when that happens, it's a matter of life and death, Mm -hmm. okay? And I guess being doing that kind of work, it really pushes you to be in alignment. And that alignment doesn't need to be forceful, doesn't mean to be aggressive, doesn't need to show anything. Okay, is that fine line of obedience, present, trust, and openness? Mm-hmm. And I guess that's how, you know, what, when you were talking about the, the, the angry Black woman, I've been that angry Black woman mm-hmm. and I could totally justify it, mm-hmm. but I got tired of it. Mm-hmm. Being softer, being kinder to myself suits me better. Mm-hmm. It feels better. Mm -hmm. Now, don't get me wrong. I've got very clear boundaries and I'm not going to let you stamp over me. That's not Mm going to happen. Mm -hmm. But I've done that work. I've done that nurturing, that inner work within myself where actually these kind of things don't really happen anymore. People don't feel that they can come and stamp on you anymore because I'm very clear with my energy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. People know exactly who I am. Mm-hmm. And I think that I don't even need to fight that kind of energy anymore mm-hmm. because I've got this embodied feeling. And when now a woman is coming to coming to bring that child forth, it's just an honor mm-hmm. to be there and, and to, to, to witness and to hold the space mm-hmm. so that can happen. Wow. I don't even know if I've answered your question. I felt that I needed to say that <laughs> to to whatever you were saying and the relationship mm-hmm. of the body and women and, and how we move into this world that has not been made for us for the past, you know, few years. It's like it's like walking in a pair of shoes that, you know, that is put upside down sometimes being a woman here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really an honouring to understand that we change all the time. Mm-hmm. We change all the time. That's the way it is. We're cyclical. Yet mm-hmm. we live into a world that expects us to be the same and to mm-hmm. perform the same and to be straightforward and, and and horizontal all the time. That is just impossible. Mm-hmm. And by creating a platform like the Temple of a Skin, we get an, a, an opportunity to go to these places that don't always make sense. Mm-hmm and they're far from being
0: uh, linear cyclic. Mm. Mm-hmm. yeah thank you thank you Jessica
2: yeah no I mean I was just thinking about um what you're both saying and even linking it to what I know you explore a lot on this on this podcast which is the whole idea of process you know and what creative processes because I feel like all of what we're doing in all the different parts of our lives is kind of refining our ability to be channels, you know, like refining our ability to hold ourselves as we hold tremendous amounts of information that are passing through us um, that aren't just from this time now, but they're also from many times, you know, um, other from pasts and futures and different spaces and time passing through us. And I feel like the, the most incredible expression I find is always done in moments where you can feel that whoever is expressing is so deeply connected to that source. And they're just acting as a channel. Um, you know, that feeling where you're in concerts and it just becomes like a a vortex of space. And it's just like, you're in this thing, you know, because the musicians are just able to channel, you know, um, it's, I feel like it's a little bit the same with the doula because, um, I mean, both the pregnant woman and the doula, because when you're pregnant and you get in the process of giving birth, I mean, you've been holding and honing your connection to this being, you know, for eight to nine months, you know, um, and it really is just about finding a space of peace so that you can just, you know, feel the feeling and your body, like spirit and your body just tells you what to do, you know, actually. If you are allowed the space and made to feel safe, um, you know what to do. And similarly, I think with, you know, doulas who are doing the work that midwives aren't, often aren't allowed to by the medical system, you know, midwives want to, but they're not always allowed to do the work of being witness to the channeling, you know, um, and just just giving women space, the space that they need. I was lucky in that case that I actually had midwives who did that very much. And I feel like it really facilitated the process. Um, But many women don't. And that's also a racialized reality. So it's this thing of being channels. And I think the last piece I would say is it it really, all of this also requires a, a degree of humility. And I think maybe that's where maybe some of the calmness or what you're talking about happens because you have to be humble, not in the sense of not being proud of yourself or your knowledge or your skills, not that, mm. but a deep humility in the sense of just understanding things that are just really bigger than you. I remember um, I mentioned that I studied medical anthropology, so I spent a month and a bit in this uh, chatino pueblo in um, Rural Oaxaca. So the in people Mexico. were... In Mexico, yeah. yeah. The people were corn farmers uh, from a um, um indigenous group. And um, so we went out with the women to the milpa. You know, they're all like four foot... Yeah, up, <laughs> yeah. And like phenomenal um, farmers and knowers of everything. We were, we were collecting and um, classifying the medicinal herbs that they use. So we went out into the milpa where they, they grow the corn and... Um, and um, and then we kind of walked down and then we ended up and there was this huge waterfall. I remember me and my friend were just looking at this and we were like amazed and we kind of got a little bit close to the edge and the old women were like, no, 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 no. They were like, come back, come back, come back. And they were like, cosa grande, cosa muy grande. They were like, that's a big thing. It's a very big thing, you know. And it's what they were saying was just that, you know, as people who live very close to the earth because they directly rely on it, to sustain their lives, they're just very attuned to the different capacities of the earth. To nurture, but also to hurt, you could, that that waterfall would take you away. Mm. So they were just saying to us, baby, <laughs> be humble. Like, mm. don't go too close to the edge. That is a big thing. It's a very, very big thing, mm. you know? Um, so I feel like even with this again, it's like of course you have pride in yourself and in your people and all of that, but there's a deep humility that we also need to cultivate to be able to to refine, like I said, this act of being channels. Because if you think you know what it is, and if you think you're the best and the this and the that, you're not gonna learn anything <laughs> because you're not listening. Mm. So there is something about, you know, I think also a humility that's part of this a process. Mm. Um and again, as Laurence keeps talking about the mystery, I feel like it's through this humility that we're able to then kind of humble ourselves before the mystery, you know, and allow it to speak. That's profound.
0: Yeah, just like, <laughs> you know, when you listen to someone say thing, you're like, oh, mm, I just got to just chew on what you said. So as you know, Jessica, and you might have heard this, uh, Laurence, I always ask everybody what lessons they have learned that we can learn from which fits with the humility theme I just there yeah and I I would love for you within the context of what you guys are building together and the and the space that you're opening for women to share their stories what lessons are you learning that that you would like to share with us
1: um if I could start um I've been thinking about about it and from my own personal experiences um, in life personally and in my work is one, uh, I don't take any decisions out of fear. I am very mindful as to which state of mind physically and emotionally I am before taking a decision. And, And the other one is that really try not to take things personally. Because everybody's got um, a story, and I actually believe every story is quite extraordinary, I feel very grateful that for my practice, I am meeting the most amazing human beings that to the point that it makes me feel like most human beings are actually extraordinary people, mm-hmm. because we made it thus far. So however, things I can get triggered by things sometimes. So when I step back, I was like, "What is the story of that person?" Mm. What what's happened for them to react that way or to say these things like there is always something behind and so that that's it not to take things personally and appreciate that everybody has a story and most likely it's an extraordinary one mm. that that would be my my input
0: that's great thank you jessica
2: mm. If I think about lessons in the context of this, um, I think the first is like, you will always be surprised, you know? Um, and you will always appreciate the surprise that I think um, it's true that people are quite something. And, um, you know, we're in an age of celebrity where we think that there are five amazing people in the world. <laughs> Only five. Five. And um because there are only five, we have to kind of like, you know, if if you want to become one of the five, you have to push one out, because mm. there can only be five, right? And um, so so one of the problems with that is that we we lose like the magic of just understanding people in the everyday. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like um there's so much that people do in the everyday. That's just something else. Mm. So I think this is really beautiful. And even if you see like the women that we're documenting um as long as it's saying like they they're doing all sorts of different things in their lives you know it's not like we're just focusing on models or something no mm. you know like who people who are sort of you know using their bodies as a as a as a um, displaying their art you know of their bodies mm. etc and that's no we're just it's women who have tattoos who do all sorts of things. Mm. And so, um, and so it's just amazing to see, you know, um, and oftentimes the tattoos are very linked, the tattoos and scars are very linked to the stories of their lives. So mm. it's just, yeah, um, prepare to be surprised and acknowledge everybody is amazing because people truly are. It's true. And the second is that I think everybody is yearning for community. Um, we did the first shoot and it was just like, you know, finding each other. You know, it was such a warm space. And I think people really opened up as we were interviewing them because they also recognized it really genuinely was safe space. Like we mm. are here because we're like you and we respect you deeply and we're genuinely interested to hear what you say. And we will take the stories and the images that you um, allow us to have and we will use them respectfully. And we will use them in a way that honors you. Mm. Um and that's, I think one of the fundamentals of building community is a deep respect, you know? It's like you, you can't build community on the basis of disrespect, you know? So um, that for me is also interesting. And again, for us, this is not just about producing images that look cool, you know, yeah, tattoos are sheep, they're, it, they're whatever, they're hot, they, you know what I'm saying? It's like the drip, you know, whatever people call it, but that's not why we're doing this. Mm. Yeah, they the women look fantastic, don't get me wrong, man. people look dope, right? The <laughs> ink is like, it's dope ink, but but that's not fully the point. Mm. And the point is to create a space, a space, mm. right? And, um, and in that space, we are then able to make community, to find each other, to be together, and to grow more stories. So um, you know, everybody needs community and all communities are based on on a mutual sense of respect.
0: I love that. I love that. And it's it's so funny because the, the more I do this podcast, I realise and I interview all sorts of people and I, I, we're in such an era of polarisation, yet I think at the core of it, people really want to belong and people want to be seen for who they really are not as tropes and ideas, but as people. And I think the more we can, um, I, I always go on about this interview, but I interview someone called Makoto Fujimura and he talks about how there's all these culture wars, but he's really interested in culture care and creating this communal table that we can all be around. And I'm so, especially now, so I think it is vital to create communal tables wherever you find yourself and you Wonderful women have been doing that with this project, but it's also, to be honest, is how you live your lives. It's an extension of how you live your lives, you know. Um, but my last question, as I always like to end, what music are you listening to?
1: <laughs> Lately, ces derniers temps, I've been listening
0: a lot of
1: Ivorian music. I was I was in in Zanzibar uh, in January, so I've been gravitated to Kenyan, Tanzanian music. It really makes me happy, warm inside, and it makes me feel sexy as well. So, yeah,
0: <laughs> that's where I'm at at the moment. Any particular artist or band that we could go and explore? Okay, I think it's sauti Soul. Yes, Saotiso
1: they're great. And what's his name? Um, and of course, I like my good old Congolese Dombolo, you know. <laughs> All the old school stuff. And sometimes, mm-hmm. sorry, that's a long one. Sometimes I go into the very classic uh, old Senegalese love songs, mm-hmm. the, the ballad that lasts for 10 minutes, taking you <laughs> on the journey, you know, the storytelling. So, yeah, that's where I'm at at the moment.
0: Is there, a, if, if people want to explore this Senegalese ballad, is there an artist that they can start with? Uh, Yeah, his name is Walo, star number one, Dakar. Perfect. Thank you. And you, Jessica?
2: Well, it's funny. um, Yeah, I'm a lyrics person. And um, these days I've just found like so much of popular music. The lyrics really are just, you know, because I'm a poet. too. The lyrics are very, (laughs) very, very... (laughs) substandard <laughs> zero effort you know zero effort mm. so i've got a playlist called last night an african woman saved my life last night and, an african um,
0: woman saved brilliant yeah
2: and um and so it's just got you know musicians that um when i know that i just need like you know positive word sound power you know mm-hmm. um and just vibes so there's this south african woman called zoe Modira who has a song yes. tando oh gosh it's just something else I'm still listening to a lot of Ria Boss, like she's really, you know, um, yeah, like some of her songs you just play and the the words just affirm and build you and build you and build you. It's really like healing, healing music, you know, Um, but Mm -hmm. the music itself also, you know, is, 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 is incredible. Nice. Um, and you were on that, my playlist as oh, well. Maxi. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sana I've got all kinds of like, you know, and every time I find like an amazing, you know, song, I just, I, I add it in there. So, um, and then, um, I'm also listening to quite a bit of South African house just because again, a lot of the house just has really positive, um, lyrics and I, I need that. I was listening recently actually to this amazing two part documentary on the BBC that was about, um, I think it was called dance divas. And it was basically like the history of the black women that, that created dance music, you know? Um, and who were all of the, 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 the vocalists in dance. Um, but who very often like, you know, they would, they would lay down, um, they would lay down songs and then, you know, People would take them, mm-hmm. put a different face on it. Right. You know what I mean? Like a lot of the songs that we right. hear. Yeah. Just really something else. But what was so interesting, what they were talking about is how the scene developed. So this is like the the roots of disco, the roots of house, of garage, of all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, how the scene developed was basically in New York, in, um, you know, in Manhattan, in like relatively like marginal areas of Manhattan. And the spaces were, um, they think it was like Saturday nights were basically um, gay nights. Mm -hmm. There were nights for gay people, for trans people, and then artists and anybody who wanted to come, but who had to be cool with the gay people in the space. Mm -hmm. So what it meant was like positive vibes only. Mm -hmm. But that also, because it was gay people in the space who were facing so much devastation outside, both from homophobia, but also from, you know, HIV at the time, which was really, really bad. Of course, they just wanted to like party and like, live life like mm-hmm. enjoy enjoy mm-hmm, enjoy mm-hmm. and so it, it it really made me understand why dance music is always so positive like it's literally just about creating a space where everybody just feels like you know like could, they can literally just elevate like just literally mm-hmm. live in the spirit and live in the joy and just be together mm-hmm. just have fun you know what I'm saying and so mm-hmm. I, I I understood then I was like oh that's where it comes from <laughs> you know <laughs> that's why so um Uh, Yeah. And it was interesting because they talked about how um, eventually, like, you know, um, because HIV ended up, you know, a lot of people ended up dying in the scene. And um, then the clubs kind of went into, you know, a bit of a rocky space um, to be able to get enough money to run the nights. They had to let other scenes in. So they were talking about when they let the hip hop artists in, Uh. you know, all love to the hip hop crew, but that was the first time they saw fights. And they were just literally like the yeah. DJs were standing there, like, what is going on? Because obviously, like, <laughs> you know, a group of queens are not going to start fighting each other for what? There's <laughs> enough of that outside. They're just trying to, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> just trying to enjoy. Um, and so, yeah, it's just interesting to me to just realize. So, house, there's a lot of beautiful house. Um, which again, is just the lyrics are so affirming and they, it creates that space. I feel that's like kind of a space of freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I like listening to, you know, Deep House and, you know, but especially like Latin House or, or you know, African mm-hmm. House that has that, like um, it's not techno like it has that. Um, yeah, soulful. Polyrhythm, poly exactly. Mm-hmm. Polyrhythm and soul.
0: Are there any artists that you'd recommend for. Yeah, um, and Paul
2: Sabina's got this track. Hold on one second. Let oh, me just the one.
0: Find. Dina
2: Lady. Yeah, Dina Lady is so yeah, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, so. One.
0: The, the, um, the Zoe Modiga tune. What one was it? Remind me the name it's of it. It's
2: U- Utando. Oh,
0: okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Okay. okay.
2: Utando. Everything is called Utando anyway that I like <laughs> so far. It seems every single South African song <laughs> that I like has the same name. It's, it's all same. about that love, man. It's all about <laughs> that love. <laughs> um,
0: Laurence Sissou, Jessica Horn, The Temple of Her Skin. Thank you for your, for who you are. You know, thank you for taking your time to share with me, with us, Um, It's always a pleasure. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing the the products that you make at the end. Thank Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. Pleasure, pleasure. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much to Laurent Sissou and Jessica Horn, the temple of her skin. Who knew tattoos and scarification could be so deep? Do follow them on Instagram, check out their website. You can also support their visual documentary project on their GoFundMe page. All details are in the podcast blurb. Thank you for listening. Holding Up The Ladder is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Please share, like, subscribe to the podcast, leave comments. We also want to hear from you about any initiatives, individuals or organisations you know of that are using the arts and creativity to champion social change. You can DM us on Twitter at H-U-T-L underscore or Instagram holding up the ladder hashtag H-U-T-L or email us at contactutl at gmail.com. Thank you again to our sponsors Airbnb. To learn more about the work they're doing and why they're supporting Holding Up the Ladder, head to the links in the podcast blurb. Next week, we're talking blackness, queerness, sexuality and identity with filmmaker, director, writer and artist, Tofa Campbell. So I never really had a home. I was in a children's home, I was fostered and I was, you know, I went to my mum's home temp- temporarily. So this whole notion of home... It's not about, I'm going to interrogate it, it's more about, I inhabit it. You know, this homelessness, I inhabit it, or have inhabited it all my life. And so I feel much more alive and more awake when I'm traveling and when I'm around, when I'm moving than I am when I'm stationary. And as an artist, it's just, it gives you that perspective of being able to sort of see across the boundaries of space and time, being able to understand that the way that we are in this moment is a moment in time. It is not the way things are. So the capitalist, white supremacist space that we are in, that's been, been kind of, you know, that has emerged out of the enslaved period of the uh, five or six hundred years ago. It's five or six hundred years. In terms of West African culture, that's a blip, <laughs> you know. Until next time.